listening to a podcast from GravityChurch.com, Lodi, California. Their journey with God and their journey as a fellowship of believers, as a, as a group of people walking with God, trying to discern the leading of God and following after whatever it is that he wants and says for them to do. They call themselves renovatus. They say that they're a church under renovation. I love that. A church under constant change, letting God renovate us. I'm in construction and I, I know what a remodel is like. And I know that you can go into an old house and with a little bit of time, a little bit of effort, a little bit of money and some skilled hands, you can completely transform a structure in its function and its form to look completely different. You can take something that was built in the early 1900s and make it look absolutely modern when you renovate it. Over the course of the last several months, or this this last month, we've been talking about this amazing concept of following Jesus, following after God, listening for his voice, and following after what he says. And when we watch a video like this, it's kind of cool to see some of our family, even though they're on the other side of the United States, and their interpretation of where they've been. They've been in this church that their grandmother had worshipped at, and they learned what it was to worship in a sacred space. And then God moved them into a different place where there was a little bit different of a style or a different history to the space. But everywhere they went, they picked up a rock and put it in their backpack, and it took them places, and it made them who they were. You know, it's interesting when we think of this concept of walking with God. You know, what does it look like to walk with God? Those of us that have been around church or have, have any kind of concept of, of the Christian faith, we understand that there's more to the world than what we see. We look around at a world that on its surface appears to be very broken. We look around at a world that on its surface has a lot of chaos and and darkness and and decay happening everywhere. We know from the story of God that that is a very, very real situation that you and I live with every single day of our life. If I were to say, raise your hand, if any of you come from a home that suffered the effects of divorce, every single one of us in here probably would raise our hands if we've never personally been through it. We know somebody in our family who has been through it. And I can tell you that that wasn't the way that God created this world to work. Those of us in here that have ever suffered from addiction or that are in the middle of our addiction right now and we're battling for our lives right now, I can tell you that at the beginning, God didn't have in his heart for you to be battling addiction right now. That wasn't part of the deal. That when you go back to the very beginning of the story of God, you see the heart of God and he displays it perfectly. And at the end of his magnificent creation, he declares the awesome words, it's all good. In other words, it's perfect. It's free from darkness. It's free from brokenness. It's free from shame. It's free from the effects you guys and I live with every single day. The greed, the lust, the envy, all the things that we battle with in in this world. And so as we look at the story of God, as we open scripture, we get invited into something that begins to give us hope, begins to shape things in a different way than through the lenses of the eyes that we see every single day. And as we look at the story of Jesus, 
we find this amazing truth that Jesus never did anything here on this earth without the direction of his father. We've, we've, we've uncovered story after story over the last several weeks of how Jesus intersected with ordinary people just like you and me and how God's will was displayed through Jesus' life. And everywhere that Jesus' life displayed the Father's will, darkness was pushed back and light emerged. Darkness and decay and death and suffering was pushed back and life emerged. In one of the stories that we read a few weeks ago, in John chapter 5, we read this, this little verse. I'll read it to you tonight. It says, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. Jesus modeled for you and I a relationship with God that is intimate, that is specific, that is present, and it's not random, and it's not happenstance. It's about hearing God and following what he says and allowing him into everyday situations of our life. A couple weeks ago, we said a quote by an old preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards. And he said at one time in history that the task of every generation is to discover the direction in which the sovereign redeemer is moving and then move in that direction. The task of every generation is to discern what God is up to, to find out where God is at and then get there, to be about whatever the Father is about. It shows us through scripture this understanding that everything in God's heart for us and for man comes back from that initial place in the garden when God said, it's all good. And that relationship with him is pure and it's unaffected by everything around it. As we look at the life of Jesus, we realize that Jesus didn't just come to this earth to teach a new message. We, we found that Jesus didn't just come to add to the way that the culture had already discerned who God really was because we know that part of the reason that the Messiah came and that Jesus came was because through the law and through the culture of the day, they had depicted our Father in a light that wasn't accurate. And as a result, men's hearts were shrinking back in hopelessness and shame and fear because they did not know the love of their father. And Jesus came to correct that misconception. Jesus came to make the record straight. But we also know that Jesus just didn't come for that. We learned last week that Jesus also came to force a change. Because you and I, by instinct and by human nature, are the type of people that will delay doing something that we know we should do as long as humanly possible until we absolutely can't delay it any longer. We talked about, you know, working out and all the things that you and I know we should do, but we just don't seem to do it until we absolutely have to. There's something in us that's like that, and it's ugly. And Jesus came to speak to that. 
And we read a story last week where Jesus literally comes in and he says, you think that I've come to this earth to bring peace, but really I've come to bring division. He says, I've come in such a way that mothers will turn away from daughters, that fathers will turn away from their sons. He says, I've come because your eyes have to be opened to what's really going on. See, we look around us and we are every single moment of every day lulled to sleep and lulled into believing the lies that permeate everything about everything. Our media, our our culture, everything speaks to us lies day in and day out. Some of them are blatant, but some of them are so subtle. Some of them sound insidious and evil and others are coated with good things. We battle lies that sound like They're harmless, like everybody needs to make a lot of money. That's what you need in order to be successful. If you can just make more, you'll be happy. Well, there's nothing wrong on the surface of that, except it speaks to the very lie that you and I buy into, which is, I can take care of myself. I don't need God. And those lies are sold to us a thousand times every single day. And Jesus comes and he says, I've come to wake you up because you're sleeping. And the gospel of Jesus comes to shake us and to open our eyes and cause us to wake up and see the truth of the world that we live in. It's a pretty amazing thing when Jesus says, I have not come to bring peace, but I've actually come to divide. Tonight I want to share with you another story found in the book of John in the book of John chapter 12 and verse 20. Let me read this to you. It says, Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration, they paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. And they said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and together they went to ask Jesus. Now Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity, and anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me because my servants must be where I am, and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Jesus says, now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray? Father, save me from this hour. But this is the very reason that I came. Father, bring glory to your name. And then a voice spoke from heaven saying, I have already brought glory to my name and I will do so again. And when the crowd heard the voice, some thought that it was thunder while others declared that an angel had spoken to him. But Jesus told them, the voice, it was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I, Jesus, am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Jesus said this to indicate how he was going to die. And the crowd responded, we understood from Scripture that the Messiah would live forever. How can you say that the Son of Man will die? Just who is this Son of Man anyway? 
And Jesus replied, my light will shine for you just a little longer. So walk in the light while you can, so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light while there is still time, and then you will become children of light. After saying these things, Jesus went away and was hidden from them. One of the things that we see in this very remarkable story, as Jesus is is just going about his business and somebody says, we want to see Jesus. We want to talk to this guy. We want to come and encounter this guy. Jesus understands something. He understands that his time has come to fulfill why he came to this earth. And he says, this is it, guys. This is coming down and it's going to happen soon. My time with you is about over. And then he begins to tell these apocalyptic words one more time about how you, if you want to know Jesus and eternal life, you have to be willing to lose your life. And then he gets to the end of this and he says these words. He says, I am deeply troubled. He's like, I am very, in our vernacular, extremely stressed out. I cannot handle this. I am going through something that is bigger than I am. I don't know about you guys, but I'm there sometimes, very often. I'm in a situation that is bigger than I am. And Jesus says the words, what should I do? Pray to God that he would save me? He says, no, this is why, this is why I came. Jesus shows us in this moment just how difficult obedience can be. Jesus models for us one more time the pressure the, the wrestling, the turmoil, the stress, the angst, all of the things that go into listening to the voice of God and doing what he tells us to do. He shows us that in that moment when the rubber meets the road and when you know that you have to decide to do what God has said, that sometimes it's scary, that sometimes it's hard to do. Matter of fact, Jesus even had people in, his, in this story come up to him and say, we don't get it. We don't even understand what you're talking about. Jesus, we thought that the Messiah was supposed to live forever. We thought that this was going to be it, that once you came, the story was over. What are you talking about that you have to die? We don't like this. We don't get this. We're not understanding what it is that you're trying to tell us. Jesus shows us in this moment that there are points in your life with God I don't care who you are, and I don't care how long you have confessed your faith, and I know that there's some of you that have come in here tonight that have no idea about Christianity or faith, and you're just checking this out and, and under, trying to understand why you're even here. You're in a good place. But those of you that have confessed your faith and have said, I want to follow Christ, and you have given yourself to him, and you have, you have emptied your life of the contents that you bring, and you've said, okay, God, Let's make this exchange. I want to give you me. We enter into a relationship of walking with God and of giving him us day in and day out, at work, at home, at play, with friends, in, in troubled situations, in good times. Every single moment of every day, we walk with God. And mark my words, there will be moments when you walk with God when people 
will not understand. They're not going to get it. They are not going to understand what you're doing or why you're doing it. Jesus shows us in this situation that though there are people around, his heart is tuned in to the voice of his Father. His heart is tuned in to the things that God says. Now, you and I, if we're honest, struggle with this a lot. We struggle with this understanding of, if God speaks to me, what do I do? What are some of the things that you and I do? Well, naturally, what most of us tend to do is we tend to talk to our friends. When we're going through a situation that either requires a decision or that requires us to discern what God is wanting us to do in that moment, we talk to people. We say, what do you think I should do? We get advice. We go to people that we trust. We go to family. We go to friends. It's like, you know, help me out here. I'm not really sure which way I should go. Two weeks ago, I was talking to a guy who's in the middle of of a situation where his eyes have been opened to some things that are going on around him in his ministry, and he wants to run. He's a smart guy. He sees the writing on the wall. He knows that somewhere down the road, it's going to be a mess, and he's going to be right in the middle of it. And he's coming to me, and he's saying, dude, will you please sign the ticket so I can leave? And I said, bro, I can't tell you to leave because things are going to get ugly. You have to pray and you have to let God direct you and you have to tell, you have to let God who placed you where you're at place you somewhere else. Because if you leave too soon, you're going to find yourself in another ugly situation again because whatever lesson God is trying to teach you in it, you're going to short circuit and you're going to run from it and then you're going to have to learn it somewhere else. My advice is listen to the God and do what he says. And if he says leave, then leave. But if he says stay, then you are going to get to know God in a way that you can't get to know God until the rubber hits the road. You can't get to know God until things go bad. You can't get to know God until you've experienced some of the story of Job where you have nothing else but Jesus. You can't get to know him until it's been like that. And so as we look at this story with Jesus tonight, we understand that there's going to be moments when we're going to look to people and we're going to say, what should I do? And they're not the ones that can tell us what to do. Only God can. Tonight, as we get ready to move on, I want to take a moment and I just want us to pray. Would you pray with me for a moment? Jesus, right now, I pray that God, if there's any hearts right here, right now, that are wrestling with something, that are wrestling with a decision, that are wrestling with fear, God, I pray right now that you would calm them and I pray that you would speak to them. Lord, I thank you that you are gentle with us. You know us. You know that we're made of dust. And Lord, you deal with us accordingly and I thank you for your grace. Pour it out on us tonight. I just pray, God, that there would be no fear, there would be no hesitation or stress, but that we would gladly follow after you. Amen. Jesus talks about something else in this story. Jesus says in verse number 24, he says, unless a kernel of wheat 
is planted in the soil and dies, it remains all by itself. It remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. In this, in this interaction, Jesus says so much. He says, not only am I getting ready to fulfill what I have come to do on this earth, but he says, I'm also getting ready to model for you, my followers that are around me right now, something that you need to understand that is very, very, very important. You, he's talking to his followers, are looking at me right now and you're seeing my life and you're seeing my demonstration of the Father's glory and your, your whole open, your whole trust is rested in me as it should be. But Jesus is getting ready to show them something absolutely crazy. He is going to show them the principle of what happens when he dies and the church is birthed and the Holy Spirit comes and the very same power and the very same glory that Jesus showed the world would come into ordinary lives like you and me. And at this point, these guys didn't get it. They don't understand what Jesus is talking about. And so Jesus is, is prophetically telling them something absolutely amazing is about to happen. And when I die, it's not over. You've got to understand that there will be more. And he uses the perfect example for them in their common language as farmers. He's like, you know what happens when you take a kernel of wheat. You know that when you put it in the ground, boom, it spreads like wildfire. And he's, Jesus is saying, that's what's about to happen. That's what's going on here. That is what is happening. And Jesus begins to take this little tiny picture that these guys are staring at intently and he begins to just magnify it and he begins to just stretch it out and he begins to just blow their minds. And Jesus says, look, this is such a bigger picture than us right here, right now. This picture, this is gonna change the world. This picture is amazing and it's huge. You guys that have read the story know that they didn't get it at that time, that there was a lot left in their journey personally with God before they were ever going to come to that moment in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit came and they felt what Jesus had been talking about before they embodied the power that Jesus had been sharing was going to come. But as we look at Jesus' life and, and we fast forward through the next several days of his life and the next several weeks, all the times that are leading up to the crucifixion and ultimately the resurrection that we'll celebrate next week, we find at just the moment before this all goes down that Jesus gets away and he prays. Jesus goes away after a very lengthy conversation with his followers, after he tells them things are going to get bad, but you've got to hang in there because the peace of God is going to come and the Holy Spirit's going to come. Jesus begins to comfort his followers. He begins to tell them everything that's about to happen. And at the very end, Jesus goes off and he prays. And in the prayer of Jesus, we find some very amazing things that are in the heart of God. We find some very strategic things that Jesus asks for. We find some very, very revealing things about the day and age that you and I live in. And in John chapter 17 and verse 20, 
Jesus is in the middle of this long prayer and he begins to cry out and he's praying. He's talking to his father. He's talking to God and he says, Father, I am praying not only for these disciples, but I'm also praying for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, Father, as you are in me and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I, Jesus, have given them the glory that you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus says in this amazing prayer, Father, let them be one. Let them be one. Jesus is praying for us right here in this room. Jesus is praying ahead of time for us and for every follower of Christ that walks the face of the earth right now. Jesus is saying this prayer for us right now. And if Jesus was sitting right here, right now, he would be saying these words, Father, make them one. Unite them. Jesus is praying If they will be one, the world will believe that you sent me. Think about that. The world will believe if they are one. Jesus says, let them experience perfect unity so that the world will know that you sent me and that you love me them. Jesus says, let all of my followers, let all of my disciples, let all of the lovers of God that call themselves Christians be in such perfect unity that when the world looks at them, the world will know that God loves them. My friends, what Jesus is saying right here is that when the church of Christ is united, When the church of Christ comes together as one, then the world will believe in Jesus. That when the the church of Christ comes together as one, then the world will know that God loves them. I have been seeing amazing things happen through the body of Christ. I have a very um, unique platform that I stand on here on Saturday nights. If I were to poll you right now and say, which church do you regularly attend? There would probably be at least half a dozen churches represented here tonight. It's a very unique opportunity that God has given to us. Because we recognize that we really are in the time when God needs for his church to be united as one. And God is in the process 
of building relationships and building connections and bridging hearts and knitting hearts together with people all over the place. And it is beautiful and it is amazing because we are starting to recognize that the prayer that Jesus prayed has to be fulfilled if revival is ever going to sweep this land. It cannot happen in one denomination. It cannot happen in one people group. It has to happen when the love of God so grips the broken and the, the just wretched people that you and I are that the love of God grips us and we don't see ourselves as being better than anyone else, but we see ourselves as the same. We have been brought into the family of God. We have been adopted and we've been called sons and daughters and we share a similar story with people from all over the world and all over the city and all over California, no matter what sign they may have over their door. If we call ourselves Christ followers, if we follow after Jesus, there is more that unites us than divides us. Do we all get along? Heck no. I've got a lot of you that irritate the crap out of me, no offense, but the truth of the matter is, is there's a lot of things about us that aren't the same. That's why I love that the Bible doesn't say, Jesus doesn't pray, let them all be the same. Unity does not mean sameness. Unity does not mean that everything about everything is the same. It means that there's something over us that connects us. It's the banner over me is love. It's the love of Jesus that brings us all in. There's a, there's a story that we all know in the Bible of churches in the early days and how there was different beliefs and there was different followers. There was people that said that I appeal to Paul and others I like Apollos. And there was all these different things that were, that were happening in the early church that are still happening today as we look all around the great world. But in the middle of all of this, Paul authors a letter to a specific church in the city of Ephesus. And he tells them some things that speak to this. For those of us that have been around the Bible a little bit, we'll know this passage well. It says in Ephesians 4 and verse 3, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord and one faith, one baptism and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. It says to stay united in the Spirit. To stay united in what the Spirit is doing. Whole, the whole point of what we're talking about over the last several months is all about listening to the Holy Spirit. Jesus never did anything that his father didn't direct him to do. He never even said anything unless his father said to do it. We looked at this great story a couple weeks ago of this man that was born and, and he had been sick for 38 years and his legs didn't work and he had been next to this dirty pool in Siloam and he would sit there day in and day out watching the water 
with this mysterious superstition that somehow if a water bubbled, if he was the first one to jump in, that he would get healed. This was his existence day in and day out for 38 years. And Jesus comes to him one day and he says these magical words to him. He says, do you want to get well? And the guy answers by saying, I can't. Somebody always jumps in the water ahead of me. I can't. And we read the rest of the story about how Jesus intersected this guy's life. And he's like, you're absolutely right. You can't. But God saw him that day. Jesus didn't just walk past this guy and decide, wow, this guy's in rough shape. I think I better help him out. Jesus walked past lots of people that were in rough shape. But that moment in that day, God saw him and God says, I want you to touch him and my glory will be displayed. And this guy's life was never the same. God still does that every single moment of every single day. When we will listen, when we will abandon our agenda, when we will tune out the voices of logic sometimes and say, I know it's logical that I should go here, but God, really, what do you want me to do? And God says, I want you to go there. And we go there. There's something there that God intersects us with. Sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes we're gripped with not understanding why God is directing us to go there. We're not sure where it's going to lead us. But yet, in the moment, God says, go, and we must follow. And when it comes to the unification of the Spirit, when it comes to being united together as one, we are talking about that. We are talking about a group of people all over the planet who have chosen to abandon their voice in their head, and they've said, God, I want to hear your voice instead. A group of people all over the planet who find unity in the Spirit because they have put their own agenda down and they've said, Jesus, I take you at your word that if I want to be the greatest, I've got to be the least. And I abandon this world and everything that it has as its pursuits. And I have given my life to you. And there is unity in the Spirit because of that. It says that peace is what binds us together to be bound together with peace. And it says that there is one Lord and one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. The last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, shows this imagery and poetry and story and all of these things in it. And when we read it, some of it we go, wow, this is crazy. And some of it we understand. And there's all kinds of different interpretations and all kinds of different ideas about it all. But there's this one part in the story that I love. And it's this part in the story where it says that there's this throne and on it sits Jesus. And around the throne are these elders that day and night bow down before him and worship him. But then it says beyond that, as you look out, you see what looks like an ocean of people, a sea of people. There are so many you can't count. And it says that they are from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And they're all in their own voice, in their own way, saying the same thing. Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. 
and they're worshiping him, and they have come together in this beautiful display of unity and yet difference all at the same time. I'm going to ask the guys to come back up from the band, have Christian and, uh, and Dave and Joe come on back up here. These guys are great, great worship leaders tonight. Have you guys been blessed by their music? It's been super, super good. One of the things that we believe is that there's certain things in our life that help us connect with God. One of those things is music. We love music. You know that you turn on a song and it can completely change your outlook of your day. It can change your mood. It can do all kinds of things. I'm so grateful to God that he gave us music because it connects us with God. It opens us up. Another thing that we believe really opens us up and connects us with God is the written word of God, to be able to open the scripture and to be able to read it and be able to allow it to hit our hearts and to tell us things and to reveal things about us. And for some of us here tonight, as we've read scripture, it's hit us. And now we've got to decide what we're going to do about it. We've got to decide how we're going to respond to the impact that we've felt. On Saturday nights, we like to center our life around the most important thing that we know, and that is Christ. He's everything to us. And one of the ways that we do that in a practical way is to engage in an ancient tradition in the church called communion or the Lord's table or the Eucharist. Come to these tables here. We take this bread and we dip it in the juice And then we go and we find some places where we can listen for God to speak to us, where we can hear his voice and we can allow him to say what he wants to say in that moment and then we respond accordingly to what he says. One of the things that people have heard about communion, especially some of the ones that are, are, uh, they they come here and and they've, they've told me, they're like, I'm scared to go up to this table because I don't know that I'm ready for that or I'm not sure that I'm good enough for that or I'm not sure I've got quite a bit of stuff that's still going on in my life and I'm not sure if I can take that step. I tell you that one of the most amazing gifts that Jesus gave to us is this table right here. This table's not about perfection. It's not about coming and having all of your ducks in a row or not having done anything wrong in any period of time. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. It's a table that is there for our provision. It's a table that is there available for us to connect with God when we're at our lowest, when we're at our weakest point. As a matter of fact, there's one place in Scripture where the Apostle Paul says that the reason that so many of you are sick in your church is because you don't come to the church table of God, the Lord's table enough, because here you find health and you find Jesus and you find everything that you're not, that I'm not. And so my invitation for you is that if you're here tonight and you've never taken a step of faith in your life with God, you've never opened your heart up to God and you're not sure even how to do that, it's really simple. Jesus wants you and that's why you're sitting here tonight. He's brought you here tonight. I know you think that somebody just invited you to come and you've just come at the invitation of a friend, but there's something in God's story that is much more specific than that. Just like the crippled man sitting by the pool, God saw you. And God arranged it for you to be here tonight. And God wants you to open your heart up 
to the amazing grace of Jesus and allow him to come into your heart and into your life, into your circumstances and give you life and give you a brand new start. And so my invitation for you tonight is to say yes to God. If you feel something that's going on in your heart right now, you're like, why the crap is that guy talking straight to me? It's not me. It's Jesus. He's talking to you. All you've got to do is say yes to him. Say yes and open your heart. And the Bible promises that he will come into your life. And then take another step. Come to these tables and let your first step, your first act of faith be to take this bread and to dip it in the juice and say, Jesus, this represents you and I want everything that you are. And I'm going to eat it and I'm going to do it by faith that God, you're coming into my life. Come and be with me. We're going to have some more worship. We're going to open up these tables and we're going to invite you to just spend some time with God. You've been listening to gravitychurch.com.